Thank you for joining us. In our relationships, particularly with family and close friends, we mean well when we say something, yet sometimes our words offend or we say hurtful things we wish we had not said. Once words are spoken, they cannot take them back. Even when we admit our wrongdoing, apologize, and ask for forgiveness, the words not forgotten. If only we would always ask God to guard our tongue and compel us to think before we speak. Listen with Bible pen and paper handy as Pastor Rander imparts how to communicate God's way. All of us, including me, you, all the way to the front door, all of us must practice listening more and talking less. I declare today we love to hear ourselves talk. Talk, 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 talk. All of us must practice listening more and talking less. Being quick to speak causes us to be impulsive and hasty. And you know what? When you're quick to speak, you move ahead of the Holy Spirit speaking through you. You don't give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak because you're so quick to speak. You can be so intent on trying to get a word in or trying to out-talk your spouse or child that you cannot hear the heart of the one who's speaking. Also, a spirit of anger will keep you from being a patient listener. You're too angry to listen. A spirit of anger will cause you to be aggressive. Growl at your wife. Holler at your husband. Or just, or sometimes you, you don't scream, you don't holler, you don't growl. You just shut down and tune out everyone. And you walk around the house and you won't say a word. You too mad to even bless your own food. Too mad to pray. Now when you too mad to pray, you too mad. You right for Satan to wipe you out. Oh, children of God, will you today trust God and ask him to help you to be quick to hear and slow to speak? Number six, you're wise indeed if you think before you speak. One is to hear, is to be quick to hear and slow to speak. This one is you are wise indeed if you think, say think, Think. before you speak. You say some things, you can get a $100,000 education, get on a job making six figures and lose your job in three months because you couldn't control your mouth. Couldn't control your mouth. Talk to you, disrespect your supervisor those in authority, and you undermine your own potential. Look how quiet it's getting in here now. You undermine. And the same thing goes in here. Don't undermine the leadership. Don't say everything you think. Everything doesn't have to go your way. You don't have to understand everything. Don't be like the children of Israel and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Won't you learn some lessons from Israel? Oh, by the way, you haven't been here so long, and me neither, that we can't be replaced. 
Every one of us in here, we are replaceable. You think you're not, you die now and see if the church going to stop. It's not going to stop when I die. I said and teach staff me another day. If this church stopped moving forward when I die, then the church wasn't built right. The church is not built around Draper. It's built around the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. This church ought to thrive, go on, bury me, cry after you shed your tears for a few weeks. Get up, march on, and you better call the right pastor. Don't you get political in here. Don't play games in here. We work too hard with the Lord to get where we are. One bad call of a pastor can wipe the church out in six months. Be careful. You're not all of that. Don't believe all your press. Don't spiritually smell yourself. Humble yourself so that God can exalt you in due time. Help me, God. Oh, my friends, you must think before you you speak. Psalms 141.3 says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Put my mouth in jail. A whole lot of y'all mouths need to be in jail. (laughs) It's amazing. You got two lips, an upper level of teeth, bottom level, and that tongue can get out of both upper and lower teeth, both upper and lower lips, and get out and burn up the world. (laughs) Put my mouth in jail. Lock my tongue up. Oh, Lord, that's prayer. Look, oh, Lord, you we say, oh, Lord, you know, you praying. Huh? Oh, 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 Lord. Sometimes when you get in distress and crisis, you don't have you don't have time to be all cute and fancy with your prayer. Sometimes you can't fail. You say, oh, Lord, Lord, remember, even an atheist, when the plane drops, say, oh, my God. I thought you didn't know God. What you mean, oh my God? <laughs> Tell me you can't say, oh my God. And when you stand before the judgment, you're going to really say, oh my God. It says, set a God, oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Don't let my lips shame me. Don't let my lips shipwreck my life. Refuse to let my lips destroy my wife. Refuse to let my lips destroy my husband and my children. Father, I've chased my children away because of my lips. Bring them back so I can say I'm sorry. If you speak before you think... You will talk yourself into trouble and make unnecessary statements that could hurt or wound a person deeply, which could take years for them to recover. Once those words are spoken, you cannot get them back. 
You can regret, you can repent, you can confess, you can do all those things, but it's out there and you just trust God that God would just make it good because you pleaded the blood of Jesus over them. Haven't you said some, haven't someone said something to you that was hurtful and painful? And they may have told you, I'm so sorry I said that. And when you've truly forgiven them, even though you uh, have forgiven them, it doesn't mean you've forgotten. Stop playing your role. I, I forgive and I forget. You didn't forget. Stop, you, stop lying to yourself. You didn't forget. But when you know you're forgiven, even when you think about it, it doesn't bother you anymore. It doesn't eat at you. You don't get ulcers over it when Satan brings it. Because Satan's going to make sure you don't forget, by the way. He'll, he'll test you to see if your forgiveness is legitimate. But when people say those things and, and they've asked for forgiveness, or even if they didn't for whatever reason, you can trust God, give it to him, let it go, and don't you just hold on to it to your own self-destruction. Okay? Number seven. We must learn to disagree in the unity of the spirit. We must learn to disagree in the unity of the spirit. In other words, it is unrealistic. Say unrealistic. It is unrealistic to expect families or even the church to totally agree on everything. Everybody's not going to agree on everything. We can't wait. You know, if we had to wait on everybody to agree on every single thing, we'd still be back uh, over there in the YMCA building on Iowa and New Brunswick. Because everybody got to agree 100% before we can do anything for God. Ooh, you t- <laughs> Survey and pollings. You got some folk rating churches. Five-star church, four-star rating churches on the internet. I don't care. They can rate us to a minus zero. I don't care. <laughs> You, I read them, you say, well, you don't care what, I, I don't care about those random stars. Little stars, four star, two star, they can give me minus zero. I'd rather be a minus zero from man's perspective, but a hero from God's perspective. <laughs> See, I, I don't need man's approval to do God's work. My authority comes from God. My authority comes from this book. So don't you waste your time. I ain't going to ever ask you what you think about what I preach. I don't care what you think. I don't care about your opinion. You shouldn't care about my opinion. If I'm talking about this book, that's enough. You believe what the book say. The authority is in the word. It's in this word. And if it's not in this word, I'm not bound to do it. I don't need your approval. I don't need you to rate me, take out a survey. You better be surveying yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You better be surveying yourself. In other words, it's unrealistic to expect families or even the church to totally agree on everything. There will be differences in our marriage simply because we are two unique individuals that God has brought together. And we are still learning one another. We're still learning. My wife is still learning me. I'm still learning her. 41 years. Y'all, y'all don't know. Yeah, we know each other pretty good, but we can still learn. Therefore, when an argument arises, when an argument arises, identify 
or clarify what the issue is. Pray and trust the Lord to give direction in the issue. Some folks fight so much until you ask them, what you fighting about? I don't know, but we fighting. <laughs> They're just habitual fighters. They don't even know what they fighting about. Well, stop. Hey, well, what your, what's wrong? I, you know, I can't even remember what's wrong. <laughs> now, let's get back to fighting. <laughs> be mindful. We must learn how to be patient and wait on the Lord for resolutions for resolution in arguments and disagreements. Don't tell me you've never had a disagreement, a conflict. Amos 3, chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? If you're going to get agreement, you better be walking in the unity of the spirit, not judging one another, but seeking the highest good of the other. How do you settle an argument? How do you settle an argument? You gotta give God help me. How do you settle an argument? Write every one of these points down and apply it. They're bullet points. Listen. First of all, you must be willing to admit that you both are a part of the problem without blaming one another. It's all you, you, the wife say it's you, 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 you. The husband says you, 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 and you did, and you did, and you did, and you did. That's, that's what Adam said way back in the garden. That woman you gave me. Blame has been going back since the garden. You must be willing to admit that you both are part of the problem without blaming one another. Uh, next, each person must be willing to compromise on non-essential and be flexible. If it's not going to tear the house down, if it's not going to destroy the family, if it's a matter of preference, if your husband want to leave this church and go 1604 when you want to take the slow route down 78, when he's driving going down 78, just be quiet and pray. (laughs) Amen. You're not driving. Okay. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? It's a matter of preference. Maybe you want to go 1604. You drive, you want to drive fast, and he drive too slow, or he drive too slow, you drive too fast. Matter of preference, just don't break the law. Each person must be willing to compromise on non-essentials. Next, refuse to revisit old arguments and stick to the current issue. So, you, know why you, you know why you can't get out of your arguments? Then you start piling on. You know what? Three years ago, you did this. Oh, yeah, back in 1980, you did that. Oh, yeah, back in 1965, you did that. I'm tired of you. Don't pile on. Stop it. Just deal with where you are. Don't go back 5, 10, 20 years and expect healing and restoration. Next, how to settle an argument? Deal with one problem at a time. Don't deal with three of them. Some of of y'all homes are problematic. You said, Pastor, I got a whole lot of them. I said, I know it. One at a time. Deal with one problem at a time. You will only bog yourself down dealing with too many issues at one time. You say, wait a minute. Let's deal with this on the table. I know those things are there, but let's let those stay right there until we get this one resolved. Then we'll go to the next one. We're not going to try to tackle five of these big ones. We'll exasperate ourselves. Listen, do not be so strong-willed are so opinionated that you do not leave room for the opposing viewpoint. 
When you get through talking, now I'm through. And you go shut the door and walk in. You go on to sleep and burp somewhere. You done. Because you just said what you think. You could care less what the other person said. You, you done. You, you've done your talking. You, you could care less. Do not be so strong-willed, so opinionated, that you do not leave room for the opposing viewpoint. Next, there will be no resolution of arguments when you are so self-centered that you fail to consider the interests of your own family members. There will be no resolution of problems, no resolution of arguments, when you are so self-centered that you fail to consider the interests of your family members. Philippians chapter 2 Verses three through five says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value your wife above yourselves, your, your husband above yourself, your children above yourself, in-laws above yourself. Verse four, not looking to your own interest. It's not about you, but each of you to the interests of others in your family, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Selfishness destroyed a marriage, and I tell you what, some of you will tap your house until you get your own way. You're the last person standing, everybody's gone. Because you won. You won. Oh, yeah, you won. Oh, yeah, with your selfish self. You won, but you lost your family. You no longer earned the right to communicate. You've lost the right to be heard. That child even spoke out. Did you hear that? Did y'all hear that child? Somebody got a child that's witnessing back there. Y'all better make some adjustments. <laughs> Next, admit when you are wrong and ask forgiveness. That's so hard for you to admit when you're wrong and ask forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, if you want to be forgiven by God, you must be willing to forgive those who have hurt you, not done it right, not lived up to your expectations. You got to be willing to forgive them. Get them out of your court. And finally, in this particular section, and then we're almost done, emphasize the positive instead of focusing on the negatives. When you deal with your children, your husband, your wife, your cousins, your aunts, your grandparents, your in-laws, emphasize the positive instead of focusing on the negative. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, do you know anything lovely? Whatever things are of good report, your husband is not all bad news. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, as you grow in Christ, as you grow in the word of God, you will bless those you love as you are maturing in Christ. And you will even bless difficult people in your life. I know you got some difficult family members. You don't have to tell me that. There's some difficult church members. 
But I love them. I, I'm not going to say, well, I'm not going to see that person's hospital. They're too difficult. I hope they die. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see them. I'm going to love them to the end. That's right. That, that's called spiritual maturity. What spirituality if you only like folk who like you? you, you <laughs> come on now. You know, as you are growing in Christ and the word of God, you bless those who love you and even difficult people in your life with words that edify. You know what edify means to build up? You build your family up through words of encouragement. You know what? When you build up others with your words, you lift the spirit of the person you're talking to. You lift the spirit of the person you're talking to. You give them hope. You give them hope. Your family and others will take delight in in your presence because you minister to them with your words. They are made better because of being in your presence. Because you minister with your words. Number eight, for effective communication, you need to ask yourself the question, is what I'm about to say edifying or destructive? Will it build up or will it tear down? If the words you're about to say are destructive, then why are you so intent on saying it? Which is of the devil and not of the Lord. I got a scripture. Proverbs 18:21a says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Did you get that? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can build folk up, encourage folk, give folk renewed hope with your tongue, or you can destroy a person, you can wipe a person out, you can demoralize a person where they live the rest of their lives in recovery because of that no good tongue from the devil. Let me close with this. Let me give you some destructive words that parents say to their children. Hold your seatbelt. Destructive words that parents say to their children. You get on my last nerve. You're just like your daddy or your mama. You will never amount to anything. Now, will that destroy a child? You're going to wind up in jail. You are so stupid. Don't you know how ugly you really are? You were an accident. Don't you think that won't crush? Oh, I wish you had never been born. What will that do to a child? Here's some edifying words from parents to children. Now, parents, here's how you build up your children. Here's the flip side of that. You're going to be something great one day. God is going to use that for good one day. They're going through something tough, but you tell them God's going to use it for good one day. Another good word to a child. You are so special to me. Here's one. You are my blessing from God. Another word of edification. God loves you unconditionally, and so do I. You are beautiful. I'm so proud of you, baby. 
you have my support. I will always be there for you. Aren't those, aren't those beautiful words? Uh, now, here's some destructive words that husbands and wives say to each other. Now, buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> my mother warned me about you. She told me. (laughs) You make me sick. You bring the worst out of me. Don't you touch me. I wished I had never met you. You gonna say that to your husband or wife? I wished I had never married you. I want a divorce. I don't love you anymore. I hate you. I wish you were dead. That's the depravity of man is just evil. How can you say that? And you know what? I'm not talking about the person that don't know the Lord. I'm talking about somebody right here under my voice. I'm not talking about somebody down on I-10 somewhere. I'm talking about somebody in this house. Here's some edifying words for husbands and wives. I love you. You are my soulmate. You are the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm a better person because of you. Honey, how can I serve you? What can I do to help you succeed in what God is calling you to do? I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for being my support base. Thank you for your tenacity and your consistency. I thank God for the longevity of our marriage. Thank God. Thank you for helping with with the children. Thank you for completing me. Thank you for bringing the best out of me. I thank God for you. And all God's children said, God bless you. As we obediently trust God to move according to his will and in his time. He will give us everything we need when we lift up our eyes to the hills from whence comes our help. Where does our help come from? It comes from God who made heaven and earth. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church, located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas, or call us at 210-821-5683.